You are listening to the Flight Test Podcast, episode 203. Welcome to the Flight Test Podcast, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I'm James Wormsley, and today what we're doing is talking to Josh Bixler about aerodynamics. So it's just you, me, and Josh, and we're going to just sort of hang out. So let's jump right in. So we may as well just start this off by sort of saying hello and introducing ourselves. So I'm joined by the main man, Josh Bixler. Um, so how are you doing, Josh? Hi, guys. <laughs> I'm doing good, brother. It's great to uh, to talk to you again. And I prefer the uh, title head janitor. <laughs> janitor. I think a bit more than that. <laughs> a bit more than that. But... <laughs> um, it's great to catch up with you. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, so I, I thought it'd be a nice uh, nice idea to sort of just, just hang out again, um, you, me, and the listeners, uh, to talk about aerodynamics today. So, yeah, basically, this episode is all about... Uh, sort of practical hands-on aerodynamics so just really what you should be thinking about when you're designing your own aircraft um, your own foam board aircraft so yeah let's have a bit of discussion about that Um, cool so yeah maybe first of all I should ask um, for you Josh like what exactly is your sort of process for designing a new plane do you do you sort of just start off with a drawing or how how do you how do you go about things I got to give my dad major uh, props for this. He was so patient when I was a kid because I would take the most crazy, weird concepts of flight to him, and he would give me a lot of encouragement and guidelines. And um, one thing I really start off with, especially in the model world, is lift doesn't scale up or down proportionately. Uh, Generally, when you get bigger, things get easier, and when you get smaller, things get more touchy. Um, So what he taught me at a really young age is to really focus in on the – the control surfaces and mainly the elevator and rudder and the wing surfaces. When you are building a mediocre sized airplane, mm. you don't just take a scale drawing and shrink it down. Right. Things change proportionally. So uh, what I always look at is the control surfaces of the airplane, mainly the tail, and oftentimes the very first thing I do is uh, exaggerate them right. a little bit to yeah. to make it behave as it should as a bigger model. Yeah. Okay. So you sort of uh, so when it shrinks down, you you want to really be manipulating the air in a in yeah. a different way sort of to or, or in a more exaggerated way um, well I, I, yeah everyone laughs that I, I draw cartoons that fly and, <laughs> and uh that that is so true um they do there everything is exaggerated the nice thing is is usually when you exaggerate features like your vertical stabilizer your horizontal stabilizer it's not gonna really ever bite you and just may keep you from having some tendencies that will give you more performance. So if you start with something bigger, uh, again, this is something my dad always said, you can always trim more off. But if you start <laughs> too small, you, you really can't do much with it. So uh, I guess the first step for me is generally just taking a concept I like. I usually sketch out a three view. Mm-hmm. And I create the plane based off that three view and that sketched up concept. Always think, thinking about, you know, where's my CG going to be? Where are the components going to be? Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. So you sort of you, you start off by sort of drawing something that maybe looks right, or you you feel that it's it's got yeah. the sort of the right proportions and you know the the scale that well I suppose if you're taking a an existing aeroplane and you're shrinking that down, you've already got those proportions. But yeah, it's just a matter of 
seeing if it looks right almost. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of proportions, um, I do use a good rule of thumb. Uh, generally, in, in main aviation, you can see a tail that'll be twenty percent the size of uh, of a wing. Uh, I actually start off with anywhere from twenty five percent to thirty three percent the size of the wing for the first models. If you look at some of my models, the tail is about a third the size of the wing. Um, that that's not by accident, um, but that that generally will get you in the right vicinity. You never want to really be below a quarter, twenty five percent your wing. So if I had a if I had a four foot wingspan, my tail is going to be anywhere from, uh, you know, a foot uh, or even touch bigger. Uh, I, sh I shouldn't even say that exaggerated. Um, on the models, as you get smaller, it, it would be, you know, more that size. But um, it's just a, it's a really good way to start out. And then generally, I, uh, I have my fuselage length a little bit longer than what you'd anticipate it being. And you can always shorten it up. When you have a longer fuselage, you have better... Uh, better tracking, your vertical stabilizer is farther back, and that gives you the ability it'll fly smoother. Yeah, okay, that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I, I know from experience that having a small, stubby sort of fuselage, uh, <laughs> it has some interesting <laughs> characteristics, <laughs> to say the least. It gets very pitchy very quick. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I've almost crushed a few planes that look like that, <laughs> just because of their, their characteristics, well, but... Uh, yeah, I, I gotta tell you, man, you've inspired me with a lot of your designs, and you keep that, that approachability to it, but you also do some pretty advanced features that just add such a unique and wonderful look. Oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, it means a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've learned from the best. <laughs> oh, no. Well, when you find them, introduce them to me. <laughs> but yeah, no, that, that's that's really interesting. And I think that that does, um, that does sort of ring true as well, that if you have a longer, sort of longer features almost, almost like a sailplane or a glider, they you seem to have more sort of stability rather than a smaller aircraft. And it's just well, that yeah. sort of rule of thumb, really. Yeah, and the best thing about flight is, is it's really every airplane design, every airplane out there, even if you build the same plane next to your buddy, um, they're going to have their own personality or own unique experience, you know, unless it's something out of the box like a Horizon product, you know, with AS3X where it's just mm. tuned to yeah. to beyond belief, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. when, you, when, you, when you design and build your own airplane, it's going to have a unique characteristic, and some you'll find favorable and some you find won't, but oftentimes... Uh, you know, when I start with a design, I think about what's an experience I want to have. Yeah. Uh, I'll pick I'll pick on the FT Sportster for example. I, I love the golden era of flight. Mm. And me too. The... Oh, you do perfect. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So 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 for me, you know, those are the big GBs, the exaggerated features. Just there was so much beauty in that airplane, and uh, I just wanted to have a really awesome pylon vintage looking airplane. And obviously, the old Speedster was a single surface wing, but it left some really key things lacking. It couldn't fly fast. It couldn't fly and do rolls. Yeah. So um, I took I took an existing design like that. I took the features I liked, but I wanted to be able to to take a corner around a pylon really good. So if you think about it, if you had a very long fuselage on that plane, uh, it would not only kind of interfere with that cool classic look, but it would also the tail would have to pitch and go a lot further to be able to turn around that pylon. So right, yeah. a straight leading edge wing. Um, keeps your center of pressure, you know, right where your balance is. Yep. It keeps that very crisp. So that means you're going to be able to turn quickly and then keeping that control surface kind of squatty um, gives you a lot more pitch authority um, to uh, to play with. Hmm. And and that gives you the ability to, you know, really kind of build the plane or design the plane around the experience you want. Yeah. If, if I wanted a very smooth flying airplane, like say like the uh, Spear or the Arrow, you know, that's where you start playing with the sweep of the wing, where you, you don't want it to be really pitchy, you want it to be really smooth. And um, the spear specifically, 
uh, Tony Cake when we were going through uh, the French Alps during that one immersion uh, road trip. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. You know, he he gave me such a great education about the uh, the Versa wing, and and we built a whole bunch of these blunt nose Versa wings. He's like, you know, it's a great design, Josh, because if you just would have increased the sweep just you know a couple degrees more. You would have had all these other benefits, mm. and uh, it really stuck with me. And we actually drew most of the spear uh, during that road trip, and then I just kind of banked that design, and then brought it out later. Oh. And um, you know, it's again a testimony to just great minds sharing knowledge and, and encouraging people, and and uh, it it really brought home how just a couple degrees of sweep, where the verso wing was pretty smooth, the air uh, the spear is incredibly smooth, you yeah. know, in the air and uh, on pitch. Mm. No, that's 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 so interesting that you can have like two degrees difference, and then you can oh. have a completely different experience just on one yeah. flying wing. That's yeah. And oftentimes it makes things like CG and balance better. So yeah. you know, really, really, if someone wants to design, and I hope everyone that gets in the hobby takes time to design a plane from one time to the other. If they uh, if they take time to decide what do they want the experience to be like, um, and then go from that point on, the plane's going to end up beautiful. You know, it's it's amazing how people try to go for something that looks beautiful right off the bat. By the time you fly it, crash it, make an adjustment, fly it, crash it, the plane will always turn out to be a beautiful work of art. Yeah, definitely. Try to just get it in the air as quick as possible, learn from it before you worry about the aesthetics. Um, always start with the function and then worry about the form later. Yeah, treat it like a prototype and just yeah. accept that it's going to get destroyed at some point. Yeah. Yeah, and you can always build no. another one afterwards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, nothing breaks my heart more than when someone builds uh, an airplane and they want a test flown and, and they'll take it to me or take it to one of the team members or to their best friend. But you'll, you'll see the conversation will go like this is, I built this and I'm so excited to see it fly. And I was wondering if you could try to see if it flies. <laughs> and and it, it, I don't want that in people's DNA. I don't want people to think that way. I want I want people to say, okay, the controls work. I think the balance is right. Let's go see what happens. Because if you take it to the point where you're so proud of it and it's so beautiful and you don't know if it flies yet, you're not going to get it in the air. Mm. And truth is you're going to have to make an adjustment somewhere. So, so just get it in the air in the most crude form possible and learn about what it's doing and then uh take a step back and, and uh you know make some adjustments yeah def i think that's definitely the right way to go about it and i think i've learned the hard the hard way actually i've had that education <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> i remember building a uh, an ft spitfire back in the day and uh, i painted it and it was just i mean this was actually a happy ending it did fly well but i put so much time into it before i'd actually test flown it and that was probably the wrong way to, to go about it you probably want to yeah fly the thing and then paint it that's yeah. probably the way to go about it but, uh, unless you made a few but yeah but yeah so you're, that's you're, you're absolutely right don't get emotionally attached mm. uh, the reward is is when it defeats the laws of gravity not how it looks and uh, the beauty will always come later and i always tell people if they get a speed pill kit and get a couple extra sheets of foam and trace out all the pieces and uh either build the kit and then save the the scratch build you know traced out version for the second one or go for the scratch build version first mm. but what that does is it gives you two two cycles on one kit yeah. and um if you have success you know what you're doing you basically can then gift somebody else with a uh, kit so when they say wow that looks really really amazing you can be like here you go um same thing when someone designs something is when you know something works make a pattern you know trace it out on paper um, there's a lot of people that will take a poster board or they'll, they'll put it on foam and then they'll, they'll keep that section of foam with them so they can just have a template anytime they need. 
but when you keep those pieces, you've then made it repeatable for other people. Yeah. And uh, and that's that's also another really important thing. If if you let someone else fly your plane, they're gonna be like, wow, that's cool. Have you tried this? And uh, you know, weird weird like learning opportunities come from designing planes. The uh, old Speedster. I don't know if you're aware of that one. Oh yeah, um, yeah. The 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 predecessor to the Sportster, mm-hmm. or, or the early version, I guess. Um, that wing on one side is a half inch longer than the wing on the other side. <laughs> I remember and, hearing about that, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> and, and that that schooled me. Like I I lost days on that stupid thing because <laughs> we we it, what it needed was it needed thrust angle. But the problem was is we had a power pod, and I'm a, I'm kind of a stickler for the rules. You know, like if I tell people, you know, on this swappable power pod, this will be it. There is no way to put the thrust angle in, and there is no way other than like offsetting the rudder some obnoxious degree that you'd be able to counteract it. And I literally I go to sleep and you dream about things and you wake up and like these weird light bulb moments. And <laughs> I I thought I was something special by the way. I got humbled later, but I was like, <laughs> wait a minute, I'll make I'll make the wing lift more on one side than the other, and the more speed means more lift, which will offset the 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 whole p factor, and and it worked. Yeah, well, that's great. <laughs> I, yeah, but the funny thing is, is I shared that with uh, with Alex. You know, we, we flew it. I was all excited. I shared it with Alex. He's like, "Oh yeah, the, the Thompson Air Racers used to do that back in the the 30s and 40s." And and he had a book with him, and he opened it up. He's like, "Yeah, look right there. That's like a foot and a half longer on one side." <laughs> yeah, he was and telling like, me about that last like last time I was hanging out with him. He was telling yeah, me about the air racers, and yeah, that's what it's thing. it's amazing. So you know, oftentimes. Uh, you know, we, we say this in FT STEM a lot, like a little bit of research uh, goes a long way. Mm. And, uh, you know, I hope people I hope people don't go beyond the advice of me because I don't really know that much. But uh, I hope they dig into some uh, some good books and uh, and some good knowledgeable friends, because it'll be amazing how much quicker you can go through uh, design challenges and overcome problems that way. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a there's a healthy balance between doing a good amount of research and also sort of trial and error so chucking that thing in the air and seeing if it works yeah but definitely you can save yourself some time if you uh research <laughs> and see what other people have been doing well, so. jake jake marshall uh is the head of our ft stem program and we challenged uh, the kids we we do this take flight initiative we challenged them to design an airplane and, and the way he's designed our curriculum is that the problem is x and the way you attack x is you do research you come up with an idea, you test the idea, and then you communicate the idea. Mm. I'm not saying how it does on his wheel, but that's the gist of it. And um, the way the kids use that that process of thinking to analytically attack a problem, the planes they designed were a direct testimony to that. And uh, it just it made me so happy to think like these kids are literally taking all these complicated specs from what motor size, what battery size, what experience I wanted to have, how many interchangeable wings, <laughs> and in three weeks they had something I couldn't design in three months or three you know, years even for that matter. And um, it makes me really proud of like how aviation brings the best out of people, but also how uh, how much you can learn from it and, and how much you can grow from it too. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, and those, you know, that, that's exactly the same sort of process that they're doing at, you know, these big uh, research, you know, R&D sort of uh, departments in NASA and all, all these sorts of organizations. So. Yeah, you really learn a lot um, from from this kind of hobby. And, uh, Absolutely. I was talking to, um, do you know of Terry Dunn, um, the tested author? Uh, oh yes, yes, Terry. Yeah, Terry. Yeah, we, we were chatting the other day on a on a podcast, and uh, yeah, he he was saying how you know because he used to work for NASA, that 
the the people in his uh in his department were just amazed at like how much uh you know knowledge he had about things like screws and bolts and things just because he he played with with RC cars and RC airplanes and stuff so yes it's amazing how how it uh, pays off <laughs> yeah honestly it seems like RC flight and this whole this whole hobby in general is a gateway to really special things and careers even if it doesn't necessarily surround flight mm. it just seems like people that have uh have gone through the process of learning how to fly, how to build airplanes, and how to design. It gives them a it gives them an advantage that's just it's hard to quantify, but it's there. Yes, absolutely. It certainly helped me in a good way. So, <laughs> <laughs> amen. <laughs> Love but, it. Uh, yeah. So it's probably w- worth mentioning um, that you can be uh, very clever with some of your um, y- you know your airframe designs when it comes to designing them uh, with an aerodynamic. Uh, with aerodynamics in, in mind um, and one example I was going to mention to you Josh uh, was uh, I, I was ma- making a seaplane the other day and it had a, an EDF on it and someone commented on my YouTube video saying that uh, oh if you just put the EDFs in front of the wing or if you just had conventional props in front of the wing um, when you're going at a slower speed but you've got all that prop wash going over your wings means you can you know take off sooner or you, you've got more lift yeah. there so there's some artificial lift yeah. yeah exactly so there's some i think it's worth bearing in mind for any aspiring designers out there that you can really be very clever with some of your uh, your designs and sort of cheat in a yeah. way yeah 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 one thing i'd encourage people is a lot of people stay away from twin engines because for some reason two motors means more complication or, or harder to fly mm. and um if you've ever flown a guinea pig or if you've ever flown a sea uh, duck uh just what you're talking about getting those props out in front of the wings I mean, the wing doesn't know what environment it's in. All it knows is I have more lift going over the top, creating a uh, low-pressure area. And if that's induced by a propeller, if that's induced by speed, it really doesn't know and it doesn't care. And uh, that's it's a beautiful thing. So yeah. two motors, in, in my opinion, are oftentimes better than one. Um, I'm looking over right now. I got, a, I think, about a nine-foot sea duck that's about 30% complete. Uh, for an episode we're going to shoot. Oh, and wow. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't wait to take it up in the air because you just you can anticipate the, the great flight characteristics of the comet, not to mention the fact that you have counter-rotating props, which means no more torque, no more issues. You have differential thrust in your favor. Yep. It's, it's wonderful. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. And another twin-engine aeroplane that I was going to mention was uh, Peter Sreeperl's Ultralight, actually. Uh, yes and that's that's an amazing uh, feat of engineering <laughs> uh, it is but uh what one what i was going to mention about that was that whereas um we were talking about the the positive uh features of or positive benefits of having two two engines and a prop wash or two prop washes was that um whereas on this this aircraft uh, I think Peter was having a bit of trouble with his rudder on the ground, and that's because yes. unlike a conventional single-engine aircraft with a really big propeller at the front, um, he's just not getting that sort of airspeed over the rudder at, at low ground speeds on, on the ground. So, yeah, I think he was he was trying to uh, overcome that in one of his latest videos. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and if, if I remember correctly, too, is on uh, his, his twin-engine um, biplane ultralight, hmm didn't have the characteristics issues that his uh his next gen did with the taller landing gear yeah but um one thing oftentimes people do in that case is they make sure they have a tail wheel so instead of like lifting up the tail wheel or tail early uh before it has that blast of rudder over it they actually keep the tail in a three-point attitude until they have airspeed 
and that airspeed gives you the control back. Um, with Peters, I believe, in, and I'm not going to jump into assume why he's having problems, but my assumption is with him having the skid on the ground where he didn't have direct steerable tailwheel, um, he wasn't able to really easily get up to a speed where that airflow would be going over his tail enough to steer it. Mm. Um, same thing when you go to land, you would touch down more of a three-point attitude than you would uh, a two-point attitude just to make sure that you you get in on that uh, that rudder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, so yeah. A sorry, go on. Oh no, a, a funny thing is my peat and pole has a skid, and uh, when I would land the peat and pole, the very first thing I'd do the second I touch down, um, I'd usually touch down on a three-point, but I'd be given a throttle. Mm. And the reason is, is I wanted to maintain because if the skid dug in and it followed a rut it would twist me. I had to keep that, that air over the, the rudder at all points to make sure that I was telling it where I wanted it. Oftentimes it was a matter of holding in left rudder and then blasting the throttle to kick it a little bit left and then holding in right rudder and blasting the throttle to make those adjustments. It wasn't just a matter of steering. Right, yeah. So sometimes it's knowing your aeroplane uh, and knowing the characteristics and what you have to do to overcome that when it comes to sort of piloting. That uh, Yeah, yeah that, that's quite an important factor with just yeah. just any kind of aircraft really yeah. um, it's it's a it's a beautiful thing you got you got the torque of the engine you got uh thrust you got speed of the airframe and all those things again the the plane really doesn't know what environment it's in it's it's reacting to things going over its control surfaces hmm. and 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 the effects that are getting pushed and uh it's it's pretty amazing the upset recovery uh, episode we did taught me a lot about even using the torque of the engine to your benefit when you're in a, a issue where you're unloading the wings, you don't have any airspeed. The thrust is doing very little, but the torque does a lot for you. So you're you're hitting the engine hard, given the torque of the engine, that air is hitting the rudder, and you're in a zero g fully unloaded attitude, and yet the plane is flying and doing what you wanted to do with no airspeed. Yeah. Uh, and and no stalling for that matter. It's it's really amazing what an airframe is capable of doing. It is, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's quite. Uh, it's, it's just a. I, th I think in the the flight, the newly uh, the the upcoming flight test book, I was saying about how it's how yeah. it's just a, a balance of forces and that uh, mm -hmm. something quite magical about that really. <laughs> Beautifully said, brother. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so one uh, other thing I was going to mention was all of the amazing contraptions, the flying contraptions uh, at this year's flight fest, uh, the one that has just been in Ohio. And how the yeah really that's all the proof that you need that uh, you can make things <laughs> of all shapes and sizes and they will well, still fly. <laughs> it really is a testimony to the best part of FT is the community. Uh, and when Flight Fest gets together, just amazing things get built. And I love the fact not the ones that fly perfectly right off the bat, but the the young man or woman that literally puts you know a half a day's work in and they throw it and it goes five feet and they drag the card inch <laughs> you know back to the build tent and they take another whack and. <laughs> uh, by the end of the day, they're they're doing circuits and they're flying it, and they took something from nothing to success. And uh, I always look at when I see that, I look around, and if it's someone like a younger child or something, I look for the parents, and the sense of pride that I see on their faces is probably the most precious memories I hold because uh, I remember specifically there was a young man and he was built this monstrous motor glider. And his mom would be out there on the line every single time launching them, and the wing would fold or, or uh, the thrust angle would be wrong. And at the end of the day, he's sitting there shoulder to shoulder with his mom. She has this big old grin, and he's just doing these lazy patterns back and forth. And I swore that thing had to have been 15-foot wingspan on it. And uh, 
again, it's just it's such a great testimony to how flight brings the best out of people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, it's it's a great thing. And uh, yeah, they, there you go. That's all the experimentation and checking that thing in the air <laughs> that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that guy yeah. was definitely doing something right. <laughs> well, you know, and I don't mean the rabbit trail, but one thing uh, I'd encourage people if they ever design a plane before putting the the servos in the motor in. Uh, I do this with almost every new design is I play catch with my friend. I, I literally will say, hey, Stefan, I got a prototype, and I'll throw a dead battery in the front, try to find out where my center of gravity is, and I'll simply play catch with them. I'll toss it across the room, or if it's a big plane, we'll go outside and do it. But once you have it gliding, you know a couple things. Okay, this plane is balanced. This is where my CG needs to be. And then you also know that, hey, look, my, my tail and my rudder and everything is pretty good proportion. I'm tracking straight. Now you can move on to the next step, hack a couple holes, put some control surfaces on, and uh, and take it to the next step. Uh, that one act of just taking five minutes to take it outside before you put all the time and energy and electronics mm. of tossing it back and forth gives you just one small taste of success and, uh, and also tells you if you need to change something or move something around. Yeah, and then once you've seen it flying, then you're like, right, that's the first prototype. Let's, let's make the go. second one. <laughs> yeah. There you go. It, and one thing that's always better for you when you design an airplane is a little bit of weight far ahead is better than a lot of weight just in front of the leading edge. And a lot of times I see people don't make their noses long enough. It's it's easier to, to start with a very long nose and shrink it back uh, than to uh, to go ahead and build a plane that's very tail heavy. And then you have a massive amount of, of weight that you got to overcome. Yeah. Because uh, when the elevator moves up and down, it has, still has to swing that weight, whether it's just in front of the nose or whether it's a small weight in, you know, way in front of the nose, it has to move that weight up and down. And oftentimes you'll see someone come out of a loop and it kind of like steps out of a loop. It looks like it's high speed stalling, but it's not. It's just kind of the tail loses its ability and then gets it back and loses its ability and gets it back. Oh, yeah, I've and, seen that. Uh, yeah. yeah, it looks like, it looks like you're, you're doing an octagon instead of a loop, you know? Yeah. And uh, But it's, it's not really like a high speed stall. It just looks funny. And that's oftentimes a testimony to the people uh, having too short of a nose, way too much weight where if they just added 20% to the nose, oftentimes the plane will look a little bit better, but then they don't have to have that weight uh, and all that battery way up in front. They can they can disperse it better. And uh, I, I learned that, I think, with the, uh, what was it, the Bloody Wonder. Right. Uh, yeah. The, early, the early Bloody Wonder that we did, I had this twin boom monster, and uh, I couldn't figure out how in the world to, to get it to stop doing that. <laughs> and ultimately, I had to add about six inches to the nose and it was amazing. It was absolutely wonderful. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Shows shows that just a little can go a long way, really. Yeah. When, yeah. When it comes to that. Yeah. Just my, minor things, my, minor changes, and you can you can completely alter the characteristics of the aircraft. It's yeah. Yeah. It's very much amazing. so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think that's that's something that uh, a lot of you know the the, the uh, aircraft companies have you know historically done as well. Um, trying to think of examples of. Of planes where they've they've tweaked just a small thing and you know the whole plane is completely different but uh i think you know when you were saying about the the wings being uh different sizes going back to that earlier when you were saying about the sp uh was it the sportster that was that had the different wing oh yeah lengths? yeah one length was longer on one side yeah, yeah yeah so they they had that on um there's a, a world war Two fighter from italy that had that i can't oh, really yeah i can't remember its name but it was to it was to um counteract the uh the torque roll because the propeller was so big 
that they thought, oh, well, we'll have to just... And, and the whole fuselage was slightly off as well. It was like the, the cockpit was on the left a little bit by a couple of inches. And yeah, it's <laughs> it 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 quite funny, really. Uh, and you don't notice, oh. and then you, you look closer, and then you're like, oh, yeah, that's completely different. Like, There's an extra panel yeah, like, there. What? <laughs> yeah. You swear an engineer needed to be fired and said he got a race. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, going back to Flight Fest, just loads of different contraptions in the air. Um, I, tr- I tried making, personally, I tried making a massive flying wing not flying wing i loved it? it it was the yeah. flying it's like lifting a, body it's like a lift oh. lifting body yeah. yeah oh did you see it i can't i can't remember if i did yeah. i did I, it was even one of our videos oh yeah it was wasn't it yeah on the I loved it. <laughs> this is a spoiler for how it turned out but it was on the biggest crashes of flight fest video so you can sort of <laughs> if someone has, hasn't seen that one and doesn't know the project that i'm talking about that's yeah. You can you can tell how that one turned out, but uh, yeah. yeah, dude, I think it was a huge success in making people happy. <laughs> yeah, it, it um yeah, it provided entertainment value. <laughs> yeah, well, well, here's the thing though, is I bet you if you had another half a day, it would have been flying. Yeah, potentially. Um, yeah, we were gonna have another go. So for people who haven't seen the video, um, it was this great big sort of. I think it was about. I'm not sure in feet, but it was about two meters long. Uh, sort of lifting body design and these little stubby wing tips <laughs> or winglets that are out the sides with motors on and uh, yeah we, we threw that thing and it, it sort of talked over not talked but it, it uh, yawed over to the side and crashed into the runway uh, when when we chucked it but I I think that if we'd had a bit more power and the, th- the thrust yeah. was at the front and the center of gravity was all worked out I think that would have I think it would have been okay yeah I think if we had a bit more, it would have been awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna have to revisit that design at some point. But, but, uh, Amen. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah. One thing. Uh, one thing that we also uh, often do on our designs, and I also encourage people to do, is you'll notice on a lot of our FT designs that the outer wing tips are under cambered. So we'll we'll oftentimes eliminate the bottom surface of the wing, sometimes by necessity to to make the wing have a elliptical shape. But most of the time what it is, is it's to actually change the airfoil type to a higher lifting airfoil type on the outer parts of the wing. What that does is if you go up into a stall and the main portion of the wing stalls, the outer tips of the wing basically uh, imitate what, what people call a washout. They continue to lift and what that gives you the ability is the plane will stall but it will not drop a wing. And uh, even at full stall where the plane is just kind of slowly going down, it won't break hard and it won't drop a wingtip, which is typically the, the situations people get themselves in when they do a stall spin or they hit the ground real hard in a, yeah. in a bad attitude. So uh, I always tell people, if you're going to fly an airplane and you want a little insurance policy, <laughs> don't go don't go full surface, you know, classic Clark, Clark Y all the way out. Just, you know, give it about 20% on each wingtip with an under camber and uh, you'll be amazed. You'll lose a little bit of speed, but you'll be amazed how docile that wing will be. Um, there's, a, there's another question I get asked a lot about with, uh, with wing design and a lot of times it's a critique and I kind of hold my ground on this because I like simplicity and I like functionality and, and, and this is both. Uh, a lot of people say, Hey, why don't you just peel the paper back and make it a smooth airfoil on the top? And it certainly is doable and it certainly is easy. Um, I choose to do most of the designs where it has the, the multiple breaks in the wing for a couple of reasons. Um, as airflow goes over the leading edge. Uh, through the top surface of the wing, 
uh, those long longerons or those long uh, folds where the there's there's points there. Yeah. Those are those are almost like little points of drag on the leading part of the wing. What that does is a similar effect to vortex generators. It causes a turbulence to be created, and that turbulence causes the airfoil to stick to the wing longer. But also, it kind of exaggerates the low pressure effect. So if you imagine little points of drag before it goes on the back part of the wing, that's exactly what it's doing, and it's causing a, a, an enhanced low pressure effect, basically. Um, it does cost a lot of speed. If you want to go 20% faster, build a really smooth wing. Right. Yeah. But you'll you, you'll immediately know that notice that the wing is definitely a lot more slippery, and that the, the characteristics are a little bit less gentle, but still very very controllable. Hmm. For me, like I want everyone to have success in flight, and I want to know that the airframe is as stable as possible, and that when it does something crazy, it's because you want it to do something crazy. And uh, that's just a question I was thinking about when we were talking. Like, why don't you make a super smooth surface wing? It's totally doable. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I, my, my father called them turbulators. I don't know if that's the <laughs> proper term, but okay. all the old timers like the Playboy and the Brooklyn Dodger and even the uh, Telemaster all had long strips of balsa wood running, connecting the ribs and instead of a smooth sheet. And that caused that, uh, that the turbulence effect. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's really interesting. Yeah, I, I'd, uh, I'd never realised that that w that would have that effect. Um, but yeah. I, I've certainly seen a lot of people um, do. When you say it is doable, obviously to to make an, a smooth airfoil. A lot of people in the oh, in the community they've made some amazing looking aircraft with super smooth oh. lines all over the place yeah. all, on the fuselage and everything. But yeah, I, I think that uh, you know to have that and the un under cambered wing uh, wing tips. Um, I remember when you said, "Oh, you'll be amazed at, at, at the performance difference." I remember being amazed at the <laughs> at the Spitfire because it was so different yeah. to any sort of warbird that I've flown before. It was just yeah. so so nice and docile, and yeah, it was it was just yeah, it's much much better it, for a beginner, I'd say. It was everything but fast. That's only <laughs> yeah. that. Well, it flew scale. So, it flew scale. Yeah, Let's just and, say that. And, yeah, Dave, Dave Vendisel did a great job on the Spitfire, mm. and I think it's out of all the Warbirds, I think it's probably one of the easiest to fly out of all of our Warbirds. And yeah. my second pick, obviously, the Storch is is a trainer from the ground up, but the the Mustang also flies on rails. Yeah, uh, I need to I need to rebuild a Spitfire. I think <laughs> I've not had one for a while. I need one. <laughs> well, that's the hardest thing for me. Every time we move on to a new airplane design, I see someone in the community that builds like a beautiful aircraft, and and it'll be a, a baby blender or it'll be a sea duck, and I'm like, oh, I gotta build one because <laughs> yeah. if, if if anyone doesn't know, if, if you told me right now, go fly an FT design, I don't have a single one that's still in one piece. <laughs> I just I fly them until they're done, yeah. and then I, I build the next one and. I gotta stop doing that. It's, it's, that's the way it goes. That's part of the fun. But, <laughs> I remember when we were flying it, uh, when you very kindly had me around for dinner when I was over at Flight Fest. Uh, we we, oh, we, we were flying. Yeah, it was so much fun. But we, we were flying that nano goblin like there was no tomorrow, <laughs> going underneath yes. the trees and things. <laughs> it's very true. Yeah. yeah. How, have you still got that nano goblin? Or do it, is it still I do. Survive? I, I do. It is still in one piece. It's been glued back together a couple times. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that is. That and the uh, the foam board FT Goblin are two staples that I always have at Edgewater with me, mm. and uh, and the and the Night Radiant. It seems like those are my three go tos uh, to uh, to always have out and stuff. So, yeah. by the way, the the FT Night Radiant, I've taught more people to fly off of that in the past couple months that we've been doing the Thursday and Friday night flying 
than I've gotten the opportunity to fly and train with people in the past five years. It's really, it's humbling. Yeah. Well, a plane without a landing gear doesn't make people want to land it. And which <laughs> automatically means the joy is in the flight. And it, it is amazing from seven years old, you know, all the way up to people up in their age, um, that are, uh, just trying it for the first time. It just seems like it's a really great go-to plane. Um, I still think the scout for me, the scout and the simple cub are, uh, are two of the possibly best trainers. I like the Scout more than the Simple Cup. Mm. Uh, but the, as far as just out of the box, um, of course, solutions like the Apprentice and stuff are great. But I'm going to use the Radian for pretty much all my training at Edgewater. Oh, that's really cool. That's, that's interesting yeah. to hear. So, yeah, those yeah, those great. three planes, the uh, the Goblin, the Nano Goblin, and the Radian, they're yeah, all yeah. excellent flying planes. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, all with fantastic characteristics, thanks to their aerodynamics. So, yeah. That's that's really interesting. Um, yeah, so I think uh, all that's left is to on this podcast is to ask what's new at FT. What what's going on with uh, the you were saying about sort of latest projects and the sea duck on the wall yeah. and stuff. So what can we yeah. look forward to seeing in the near future? Well, I think the answer question. I'm not sure when this is going to come out. Let's see. Today is uh, ten seventeen. Um, we are. Uh, the 810 episode is done. Uh, Jeremy, God bless him, did an amazing job on that episode. Mm. And uh, it's also, I think, the first big project we shot at Edgewater. And I can't wait for people to see it. Uh, again, hats off to Jeremy for the, the hard work that he's done on that. Yeah. Uh, so so that's coming out. That's been – that was that was shot. And immediately after, we're going to have the full-blown episode after the original 810. And if anyone doesn't know, I'll give them a sneak peek. Uh, we went out to Edgewater. We had our wives. The weather was beautiful. We were waiting for that golden hour shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the little trace rounds had to be in low light to make them seeable. Yeah. And we, uh, ironically, uh, the new Mavic 2 has a feature on it where it steps on 5.8 if it's turned on. <laughs> and sure enough, it was. So oh. we were hustling because it was, it was getting a little bit darker than we liked. We were hustling. We launched it in the air. Uh, first flight, you know, with all that gear in it and uh, goggles down. I do a 180-degree turn. Uh, coming up the line up on it and everything just goes static and it also goes static on the chase quad oh. <laughs> and that son of a gun mavic shot us down with our, our video signal oh, no. i put it i put it through a tree and just destroyed the thing oh. so poor jeremy i told jeremy i would give him a hand and build the second one with him <laughs> i've been locked into so many different projects and just uh <laughs> working on things he did 90 90 of it oh. <laughs> but uh the you know, God has a sense of humor because if that episode would have went good, we would have been really happy with it. But the way that the the return to the episode turned where we, you know, basically the third A-10 was built, uh, it couldn't have been better. It was absolutely phenomenal. The, the, the airsoft gun worked great. Everything went really good. And I'm not going to spoil anything. There's some, there's some shots in there that you are going to think are uh, – <laughs> Like how how did it happen? Yeah, <laughs> I'll just I'll just tell you now it happened. You gotta watch the episode, but yeah, I think this is gonna be a, a fond memory for the whole team for a long time. Oh, definitely. And I've seen the I've seen the rough cut, and I'm not sure if I should say I'm not sure if the episode is out by the time that this podcast goes out. So if if it is, yeah. go and watch it now, or go and rewatch it if you've seen it already. And uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's an amazing episode. I've seen the uh, the rough cut, and you will not be yep. disappointed. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There, there's a passion project we're working on right now too. Um, obviously, the A10s in the spirit of it. We've, we've used the term monsters a lot. Um, I'm working with some prototype foam that we have that's twice the thickness. Oh yeah. Uh, we're working. Our next batch is going to be a lighter version of it. 
but uh, the goal and the vision of this is basically to take every plane that we've ever designed, past, future, and present, and if someone wants to make a monster version, all they need to do is enlarge it by a certain percentage. Uh, the secret percentage is going to be 185%. So <laughs> uh, along with that, you know, you can take anything from a spear to a sea duck to a guinea pig, fill in the blank. You just simply enlarge it by that percentage, and then you build right along with the build video. The only difference is, is maybe instead of uh, trusting the foam for a spar, we're gonna we're gonna have a supplemental saying, okay, here's how to how to make removable wings. Here's how to brace up this area. Mm. But I'm, I'm so excited for next year's flight fest, especially in Ohio, to see see monsters yeah, flying through the air. Too, yeah, And uh, we're, we're prototyping a, a new radial motor. Uh, it's gonna be a 40-30 size motor, so a 40 millimeter by 30 millimeter stator. Okay. And um, the neat thing about this is that it'll be able to swing a 20-inch prop on a four-cell or a 16-inch prop on a six-cell, and that's going to do a couple of really unique things. Um, if someone is enlarging a beast pack-style airplane, they can run a 20-inch prop. So the, the test bed we did for that was a Scout, mm -hmm. and it was a huge monster Scout. <laughs> I can imagine, and yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was flying it with a 20-inch prop with my kid uh, on a four-cell battery, and I had uh, two 3200s linked together. I could have got over an 18-minute flight time. It was so efficient. Wow, that's and uh, that's sort of yeah, yeah a lot of opportunity <laughs> for fun there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a real blast. And and speaking of the whole radials, um, we're gonna be releasing at Flight Fest Texas uh, our new radial line. Will be the launch of it. So we just got them in from the 1806 all the way up through the uh, the CPAC motor, which is now gonna be a 2218, not a 2215. We're gonna have. Every, every motor that we carry now will be a new FT radial, and that'll eventually become the power pack when Emacs, uh, when we finish out our stock with that, that'll move into it. So really excited about this. Um, this is not just like a rebrand. It's it's from the ground up, spec'd out bearings, hardened steel shaft, uh, serviceable. Um, the bigger motors actually have a screw that you can take off, and you can open them up and clean them out. Mm -hmm. um, we want people to be able to, to really be aggressive, take chances, crash hard, but have a motor that's going to last a lifetime. Yeah. And uh, we're even going to support it with a limited lifetime. So we did that with the motor. Um, that's going to launch at Flight Fest. It'll be the first time I believe people will be able to uh, to buy them. And uh, and that will be really exciting. So yeah. along with that, the ESCs, we have those also designed from the ground up. We have an accessory port. And if anyone's familiar with ESCs, the internal battery eliminating circuit, which powers your servos and powers your receiver, is often a little too small. So what we did with the APAC and the FPAC, we upgraded it from a 12 amp to a 20 amp. The secret is, is we tested these things at over 35 amps, just wide open throttle on a 2205 motor to make sure they could just take tons of abuse. But we also put a three amp BEC on it instead of 1.5. So that means now you can power your FPV off of it. You can power uh, lights off of it uh, and not brown out anything. And uh, yeah. we've also upgraded the CPAC and the B-Pack to a 35 amp BSC. And we say it can handle two to four cell, but on the early A-10 when we tested it out with the ducks, I ran a six cell on it. <laughs> and it actually, there was a 60 amp ESC next to the FT uh, ESC that was 35 amp. And uh, we got we got out in the video, the funniest thing, we smoked the 60 amp ESC <laughs> and the, uh, the 35 amp ESC uh, just ran strong as could be. I don't know all the fancy stuff, but it has a unique hex code in there, and the uh, the noise is super quiet, it's super efficient, um, but the punch, the instant power you get off of it, 
the only downside is if you have a very bitey prop on it, it will uh, it'll torque your plane a little bit. It's so right. it's so punchy, mm-hmm. and I just I just can't wait for people to get their hands on it. It's gonna it's gonna really change the flight experience of a lot of our airplanes. It'll have better efficiency and better power. Yeah, well, it sounds like a great opportunity for a, a load of different yeah. builders out there that I that I've uh, <laughs> seen on the forum. So yeah. well, talking about aerodynamics, we want people to try different things, but I don't want people afraid of crashing. And uh, we were kind of humbled with this project. We started this over a year ago. To, to have these made mm. and we're just now finishing up and uh i'm happy it didn't happen sooner because we learned so much over that course of the year developing these um you know my hope is that uh people do that so yeah in late november we'll have the full line of ft radials for fixed wing and also the full line of ft radials for uh for for drums from gremlin size all the way up through six inch uh six cell brilliant well, exciting times ahead, people. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That's no, brilliant. And I'm sure that you'll all be able to hear, um, for all our listeners out there, you'll all be able to uh, hear all, more about this and uh, upcoming stuff on flighttest.com. So, yeah, just head on over to there. Check out the articles. Check out uh, the upcoming videos. And, yeah, you'll uh, be able to look forward to all these exciting projects and uh, products coming out soon. Well, speaking of projects, we got to do an update sometime on Edgewater. Uh, it's it's moving forward, and you guys have really blessed us in a powerful way. I can't wait for everyone to, to, to see it personally. Yeah. No. Well, when I saw it personally, I was mind blown. It was just just everything that I uh, I hoped it would be, and yeah, and <laughs> it was certainly delivered. <laughs> so yeah, that's about it, Josh. Um, so yeah, again to all of our listeners, thanks very much to uh, for, for listening to this, and yeah, head on over to flightdesk.com. Uh, check out the articles check out all of the good stuff on there josh i'm sure we'll catch you again in the near future hey <laughs> love you guys y'all have a great day thanks man. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.